0: Good morning, everyone. Before we get into today's message, let's listen closely to our scripture passage for this morning from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter two, just verses six through 10. Paul writes, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, it's nice to have you all with us today. I hope you were here last Sunday because we had such a great resurrection celebration. The The weather cooperated for the sunrise service, the, the breakfast was delicious, all the worship services were filled with joy and great music, and I thought I gave a pretty good message about the disciple Thomas and his encounter with the risen Christ, but it was kind of weird because... No one said anything to me about my message afterwards. I mean, no one. I mean, normally at least a few people will say something, even if it's a stinker. You know, some kind person will shake my hand and politely say, you know, nice sermon pastor, which really means better luck next time. But last week, no one really said anything about the sermon itself. What they did want to talk about was my opening story about the Easter Bunny brawl at the Jersey Mall. And I'm worried that that's what people went home remembering, not the message about Thomas and Jesus, but the bare-knuckle bunnies. And then during the week, I started getting all these emails about other Easter disasters, you know, Easter egg hunts gone horribly wrong. In Connecticut, the Pez Candy Corporation had to cancel its massive Easter egg hunt midstream when parents just swarmed over the fields like locusts and were knocking kids down in their frenzy to find candy. In our own neighborhood town of Westfield, there was an Easter egg brawl between parents at the Williams Nursery. At a zoo in Seattle, two moms got into a fistfight over chocolate eggs. In Proctor, Vermont, police had to use pepper spray to break up the unruly parents. And worst of all, in Quebec, Canada, 10,000 people showed up for an Easter egg hunt designed for only 3,000 people. And it turned ugly, total mayhem, with fights all over the place. I mean, I think people thought they were at a Donald Trump rally. No, seriously. Whatever happened to hiding a few eggs in the backyard? I mean, people, parents, they're going crazy. And from what I hear, all this holiday violence has made the Easter bunny just hopping mad. So in case you missed it, last week's message was the final one in a series of sermons on prayer. And the frustrating thing for me as a preacher is that I had so much good stuff on prayer left over that I didn't have time to use. I could have gone a few more weeks, I think. Like, for example, did you know that if you re scramble the letters in the word Presbyterian, you can come up with the phrase best in prayer? Some of you are mentally crossing off letters right now, aren't you? Trust me, it's true. Presbyterian, best in prayer. But then that makes you have to wonder, is it really true? In general, is that what Presbyterians are best at, prayer? I kinda don't think so. At least that's not been my experience in the wider world of the Presbyterian church, regardless of which denomination you're talking about. And then you have to turn that spotlight onto ourselves. We're Presbyterian, does that mean we are best in prayer? And I don't know that that's our strongest suit. Certainly we have a lot of prayer going on, but is prayer what we do best? And if prayer is not what we do best, then what is? What do we do best? And that's a tough question. There are a lot of things we might put forward. You could say, well, it's our children's ministry or our student ministry. It's our missions program, our music, uh, the women's retreat, the, the deacon's ministry, our small group Bible studies, and, and on and on and on. You could list a lot of things. There are a lot of contenders that we would consider for that top spot. But then there's an even deeper question. What should we be best at? What should we be best at as a church family what should we be best at as followers of Jesus Christ and people might offer a variety of answers to that one too love Jesus said we're to love one another is that it is it justice for the poor the Bible has a lot to say about that I mean we could go through again a long list of possibilities but here's what I think it should be here's what I think Jesus wants for his church the thing he wants us to be best at Jesus wants us to make disciples who make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, and you know these words. His final command to his closest followers, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That was his command. You're my disciples, now go and make disciples. That was his final call upon his first followers, and therefore must be the number one priority of the people of Christ today. Now, A lot of things go into what it means to be a disciple or the process of making disciples. It takes a lot of love. It should involve a concern for the poor and for justice. But all those are are characteristics of a healthy disciple of Christ. They're subsets of what it means to be a healthy Christian. So we need to clearly understand that the main purpose, the core reason why we exist as a fellowship of believers is to live out that command by Jesus, to make disciples who make disciples. To make disciples who continue the process by making new disciples. And once any church loses this as its central focus, it actually ceases to be effective for the kingdom of God. The church can still have a lot going on, have a lot of programs and activities, even have a lot of people. But once a church loses touch with this core purpose, it ceases to be effective for the kingdom of God. So making disciples, making fully committed, growing followers of Jesus is something we have to constantly rediscover and return to. And we have to remember that making disciples, it's, it's an art, not a science. It's not you know, six easy steps to becoming an effective Christ follower. To make disciples who make disciples, it requires Sort of a cluster of influences, a, a full complement of skills and attitudes of knowledge and behavior. Now, I think we've got some of that. We're doing some of what it takes to make disciples who make disciples. But I think we really have a ways to go before we'll be able to say, that's what we do best. I love talking to people who are new to our church family. I, I can't tell you how often I've heard for them say, that when they come here, they just sense there's something different about this church. They, they sense something. There's a feeling, a, an aura here, something that they haven't felt in other churches. And I hope what they are sensing is the Holy Spirit at work here, helping us to do what Christ wants us to do. What Christ wants every church to do that names his name. Someone shared with me the Holy Week and Easter newspaper ad of another church in our area to see if I'd noticed something that, that he thought was unusual about it. It took me about two seconds. There was no mention of Jesus in the entire ad. It was all about how they were just a friendly church. But not one word about Jesus, not a word about the crucifixion or the resurrection. In fact, no mention of God at all in the entire ad. Just a friendly bunch of folks looking for new friends. When people come here... They're gonna know that we talk about Jesus, am I right? What it boils down to is this. There are certain values and beliefs that help to create the atmosphere that is our church. Core values and beliefs that that shape how we approach our faith. Uh, Core values that affect what we, or, or why we do or how we do what we do. A group of things that work together to build both individual disciples and grow our fellowship as a whole. You might call this our spiritual DNA. It's what gives us our unique identity as a congregation. It's what makes us different from other churches. Not better, but because there are a lot of great churches in our region, but there are core values, beliefs, and practices that make us uniquely who we are. Things that we want to protect and preserve and learn to do better and better because we think these core values, beliefs, and practices they are what will help us fulfill our calling to make disciples who make disciples. So that's what I'm going to be preaching about for the next few weeks. Nine core values that will help make disciples grow strong and help shape our identity as a local church. You'll see the outline of those uh, uh, core values in your bulletin today. Next week I'll talk about uh, a little bit about where these values came, came from. But for the rest of our time today, I just want to touch on the first and the most important core value. The number one thing you need to be a disciple who makes disciples is a Jesus-shaped identity. A Jesus-shaped identity. Well, what is your identity? It's, It's how you view yourself in relation to the world around you. How you look at yourself in relation to the people and events around you. How you view yourself in relation to God. Your identity is sort of like a mirror you hold up to your own soul. It's how you define yourself for yourself. It's how you would answer the question uh, for yourself, who am I? That's your identity. Imagine if you were to Google yourself and up pops the Wikipedia entry for you. Your identity is what you would read in that first paragraph. It's, It's how you define yourself, how you understand who you are. The individual identity that each of us has right now is something that we have built over time. We've each kind of built a mindset, a belief system based on what we've experienced. It's, it's our version of reality. It's, it's your personal pair of glasses through which you see the rest of the world. It's the thought patterns that serve as the filter for everything that happens to you. It's how you decide if something was good or bad, happy or sad. It's the, it's the title of your autobiography, the label you put on your life. Do you get that? And so your identity is the image of yourself that kind of gets tattooed on your mind, who you are, what you believe about yourself. No one can see it but you, but it, it colors everything you do. And we may not be entirely conscious of our own mind tattoos or even aware of how they got there, but what we believe in our identity is what we will ultimately live out. Whether we realize it or not, our identity is why we do the things we do and feel the way we feel, even if we're not consciously aware of it. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a person thinks in his heart, so he is. It's like life is a, is a giant jigsaw puzzle, and we have all these different pieces that are competing to be the centerpiece of our puzzle think about all the ways the various ways people define themselves these days what they put as the centerpiece of their life's puzzle could be gender you know am I am I male or female or the rage today is to bend gender into something else some people define themselves by their gender or sexuality same thing lots of folks today want to put their sexual orientation or behavior at the center of their identity that's who I am How about race or ethnicity? That's another big one. I'm German and Danish by descent, but that's not really the center of my life, but for others it is, big time. Their race or ethnicity, it's the number one way they look at themselves, and if they feel that their race or their ethnicity is disrespected in any way, well, there's going to be trouble. Then there's your political leanings, Uh, being a progressive Democrat, a conservative Republican, a socialist or libertarian, During this election year, that's everything for some people. Another big one is our relationships, the roles that we play with other people. I'm Donna's husband, Jonathan's father, Kim and Karen's brother, my parents' son. As the youngest child in my family, I had a lot of teachers growing up who who defined my identity that way. I was, you know, another Ebert, and I was never quite sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I wonder how many of those rioting Easter egg hunters were people who have their fragile identities based on being that perfect parent for their little genius. I mean, why else would they attack another parent over candy? Another big thing that people often have at the core of their identity is their job. So many men that I know get their whole sense of value from their work, and so then they're absolutely crushed when they lose that job, or it doesn't turn out to be the kind of career that they were dreaming of. Or finally, since careers have lost some of their allure, many people base their identity on a cause that they're committed to. You know, fighting cancer, or protecting the, protecting the environment, rescuing puppies, or, or training for the next marathon, because that's where they get their sense of value and significance. All these puzzle pieces compete for that center spot in your life. And then along comes Jesus. Something new comes into your heart, a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Paul put it this way in today's scripture passing. He said, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. Christ comes into your heart, and he is Lord. That means he's the boss. And by giving your life to him, you get a new life, a new self, a a, a new self that goes beyond just knowing that your sins are forgiven or that your place in heaven is secure. It's a new life that's supposed to take over, overtake your old life, a new identity that's supposed to overshadow your old identity. That's why it's meant by having a Jesus-shaped identity. Jesus is now at the core of everything else. Jesus now at the center of all our many selves. He becomes kind of the organizing center, the sun to all our planets, the, the nucleus to all our electrons. Everything about us is supposed to rotate around him. Everything about us first has to go through him. All our decisions, all our actions, our attitudes, all of it should first go through Jesus. He's the filter through which we should look at ourselves. He's the lens through which we should look at others and the world around us. And so having a truly Jesus-shaped identity is huge. I mean, it's a huge deal. It's not some pebble you throw into a pond that barely makes a ripple. Jesus is, is like a meteor from space that hits the water with the force of an atom bomb. Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is the centerpiece of my life, a Jesus-shaped identity. That has huge implications. It means I have to look at all those other pieces of my life in a new way. What will it mean for me to be a Christian man? Not just a man, but what does it mean for me to have a Christian understanding of my masculinity? Or what does it mean for me to be a Christian husband or a Christian father, a Christian son, a Christian on the job? You see, Having Jesus as Lord now puts all those other things that might compete for my loyalty or compete for you know, your main identity, it puts them all in their place. They have to be in submission to this larger loyalty, this larger purpose. To truly be a disciple means surrendering all those other identities to Jesus and then allowing him to shape how you live in all those areas of your life. Jesus begins to shape you in the type of person he wants you to be so for example whether you're a Christian heterosexual or homosexual your sexual behavior has to be surrendered to Jesus Christ you're not free to follow any impulse or desire you want your behavior is subject to the lordship of Christ and you need to trust him to fulfill your needs Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3 9 and 10 you have to put off the old self with its practices and have to put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Or again, Ephesians 4.22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Are you catching on to a theme here of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus has to be the centerpiece. Your behavior in all areas of life are now subject to the lordship of Christ. All those things now come under the greater influence of Christ in you. So your race, your ethnicity, your politics, your job, your relationships, all those take second place to Jesus and have to come under his influence and control. He must be first in everything. And that's why Paul says in our passage today, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. He's the head over everything. That's what it means to have a Jesus-shaped identity. Having a Jesus-shaped identity has huge implications for how we live. But like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly, the change from the old self to the new, it doesn't happen in a blink of an eye. It's a lifetime of change as Christ forgives and frees and heals and corrects and begins to shape us into his likeness, a process called sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. That's why I like the bumper sticker that says, be patient with me, God isn't finished with me yet. Here's one practical challenge for you since it's tax season. Just take a look at your charitable deductions and figure out what percent of your gross income you actually give as your stewardship to the church. And then honestly ask yourself, is Jesus Christ Lord over my money? I'm not telling you what the percentage you should be giving. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself before the Lord and ask Him what you should be giving. If He's Lord, Then ask and listen. Yield to him and let him really be the centerpiece of your life. I want you to do something else for me this week. I want you to write out on a card or a post-it somewhere these five words. I belong to Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple, then that is your main identity. So every day this week, let that be your first thought in the morning and your last thought at night. I belong to Jesus. To Jesus Christ. Write it out. Stick it on your alarm clock. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Enter it into your smartphone. Put it someplace where you will see it and be reminded of who you are in Christ. Read it over and over again throughout the day. I belong to Jesus Christ. Let that be the tattoo on your brain. The, let that be what gets inscribed on your soul. I belong to Jesus Christ. Begin to change your mindset so you know who you really are. Your true identity begins with the, the unlimited, unmerited love of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you really are. You are his. And so as Paul says, live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have come into our lives because all our old identities, they're broken and damaged and shattered by sin. They're confusing and confused. Lord, they lead us into a lot of trouble. They lead us away from you, Lord, and we thank you that you can come in and be that centerpiece of our puzzle, the one around which everything else begins to revolve, Lord. May that truly reflect our lives. And if there's an area of our life, Lord, where we know we are not in submission to you as Lord. Convict us. Show that to us. Reveal to us where we need to make steps of growth and deeper commitment, where we need to begin to change, whether it's in our relationships, how, how we're involved with people as a parent or as a child or as a friend or as a spouse or whatever it might be. Show us those places, Lord, where we need to change surrender and give our identity to you and then learn to live out of the center of your love. We thank you in Christ's name, amen.